Please join me for a word of prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Again, welcome to Christ the King. Start this uh, sermon off with a personal story. Some years ago, Jennifer and I uh, lived in Pittsburgh. We were going to seminary. Uh, Pittsburgh is not too far away from the Yakagani River, which is a whitewater uh, river. Kind of mild, class three. I don't. I guess you have to go out west to get to the really serious whitewater. And we met some of uh, Jennifer's college friends in uh, to raft down the river. We met the guide at the mouth of the river. The, the as we departed, and the guide said, "Look, this is not the most." Difficult of rivers, but you know, there's class three, class four rapids, so you need to have some familiarity. And Jennifer and I, newly married, me wanting to impress uh, her friend, said, yeah, no problem. I can guide a river boat, uh, river raft down the, down the river, having never actually guided a river boat down a, a river. I figured, how hard could it be? It's just a boat, after all. Well, I quickly discovered there's a big difference between a raft and every other type of boat which I've been in, namely in a raft. A raft lacks a keel. I think that's the right term. I'm not much of a, uh, in my nautical terminology is somewhat limited. But I think if you look face on most boats, you're going to find they come to a little bit of a V. I think that's the keel. And what that does is it pushes, it makes the boat want to go. I don't know, that's, that's pretty wooden language. But a keel makes the boat go in a certain direction, right? Uh, the distinction is uh, with a raft, there's no keel. So you put the raft going this way, the water's going that way. It doesn't really matter which way you're pointed. The raft is just going to go the way the water is pushing because there's, there's, no, there's, nothing, there's no uh, friction in the bottom. There's, there's just a flat-bottom boat. The story has a point because I realized halfway through the first rapid that in order to get a raft, the direction you want it to go, you not only need direction, but you also need propulsion. You need velocity. You need something to carry you in the right direction. And with that, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 6. This passage is going to tell us, show us two resources for living a faithful Christian life. And I'm going to start off with three rhetorical questions that I see in Romans chapter 6. I think you can see them with me. Uh, The first question is found in verse uh, 15. What then are we to sin? So that's the first introductory question, and that will serve as a... uh, just an introduction to this sermon. Then in verse 16, we're going to find one of the paddles, one of the resources that motivate a faithful Christian to live a good, righteous, and sober life. And that's the question. It's a question of identity. Don't you know who you are? And then there's a a third and final question on page four, which is, but what fruit were you getting? Let's think about your destiny. So one introductory question, should we sin? Second, uh, and then two questions that provides some energy, some propulsion for the follower of Christ to live a faithful, good, and godly life. So let's start. The introductory question. Shall we continue to sin because we are under grace? You see, that's a great question. Let me give some background. Christianity is distinct amongst the world religions, distinct among anything in life, and that Christianity operates solely on grace. Everything in your life operates on merit. 
What you get is what you receive. That is not how the Lord works. Jesus, well, here at the end of the service, went to the cross, suffered the agony of the cross, uh, the beatings of the, of the soldiers, not because we were great, but because he loved us and gave himself for us. We are loved. We are accepted by God. We are forgiven. We are given a place in eternity, not because of who we are, but because of his grace, which prompts a question. Aha! If it's all about grace, then why should I even bother, right? Uh, You know, why do I need to... Christianity has always required its followers to go against the flow in some ways. I've referenced in this book, Dominion, a story of the impact of the Christian faith on Western culture. And Christianity has always been rowing against the culture in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Throughout this Lenten series, we've heard about the disciplines of the Christian life, prayer, prayer, service, uh, the, the various disciplines that empower the Christian life. And we may think, wait, if it's all about grace, then wh- why? I mean, why do I need to pick up my cross and follow him? Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace is going to get me home. I'm pointed in the right direction. Why do I need to paddle? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Because the Apostle Paul is going to give us two reasons, two reasons, to two paddles to help us not only be pointed in the right direction, but to be propelled in the right direction. So let's turn to the first, or actually the second question. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey? So this is a question of identity. Don't you know that you're a slave to anyone you present your body as a service? So I'm a Bob Dylan fan. In 1970s, late 1970s, uh, Bob Dylan had a motorcycle accident, and he came out as a born-again Christian. I'm not sure how long that spell lasted, but it lasted long enough for him to produce two great albums. Well, one medium album, one great album. The great album is Slow Train Coming, and the best track on that album is you got to serve somebody. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't. I'm not seeing a lot of uh, resonance. It's a great song. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance, etc., etc. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody, says the prophet Bob Dylan. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's the interesting thing about this passage. You may note there's no, like, I'm just not going to serve anybody. Like, the choices are, I'm going to be, a, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience, righteousness, or a slave to sin or a slave to God. Those are your two choices. And the discerning reader may say, wait, no thanks. I don't want to be a slave to anything. I think I'd rather just be me. But according to Dylan, and more importantly, according to this passage, that's just not an option. You're going to end up giving yourself to something, to someone, to some cause, to to politics. uh, uh, I quoted author David Wallace. He's a philosopher. And I don't quote him because of his uh, vibrant Christian faith. No, the quote I included in your sermon notes reveals he's kind of lacking in that department. But he captures the human condition. There's some sermon notes included for you on page 10 of your service leaflet, and he says this, if you worship money and things, if that's where you tap into real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. 
You'll never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts to show, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason may be for choosing some sort of God, spiritual type thing to worship, maybe JC, Allah, or Yahweh, or the wicked mother goddesses, or the four noble truths, or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much everything else is going to eat you alive. I'm not quoting that because I'm suggesting you worship the wicked mother goddesses or four uh, noble truths. He captures the human condition. You're going to have to serve somebody. Look at verse 16. Don't you know when you present yourself to something you become its servant? That word present in Latin is the word adicier, from which we get the word addict. And we're probably all familiar from either personal or just one step removed of the devastating impacts of addiction. And what the Bible is saying is that that's true of sin, period. Big sins, little sins, sins that end dramatically, sins that end, it all functions as an addiction. And that means every addictor is eventually going to become your master. And there's a problem with you and me having another master, and that is you and I are already spoken for. We can't have another master because you already have one. On my wedding band, my original wedding band, which I unfortunately lost in another water story, which I'll save for later, it has these words, I am my beloved, I am my beloveds, which is a quote from the Song of Solomon. And that simply means I'm spoken for. I'm, I'm already committed. And the same thing is true for my wife's wedding band. And the same thing is true for you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are already spoken for. You cannot have another master because your allegiance has already been pledged. And that is the real thrust of Romans chapter, chapter 6. The early stages of the, of the chapter, verses 3 and 4, talk about our union with Christ. Don't you know you've been baptized with Christ? You've been unified through faith. You've been sealed in the waters of baptism. And here, our unity with Christ is expressed in our terms of self-surrender. You already have a master. And you cannot give yourself to another. As John Stott writes, we must ask ourselves repeatedly, don't we know the meaning of our conversion? Don't you know that you have been united by, with Christ? Don't you know that you have given yourself to him? We must go on asking ourselves these questions until we reply, yes, I do. I do know how, who I am. I am a new person in Christ. And by the grace of God, I will live accordingly. The first question is one of identity. Don't you know? Late in his life, Edward VIII, who abdicated his throne, reflected on his childhood. His father, George V, was a strict disciplinarian. And when Edward would get in trouble, his father would admonish him, saying, My dear boy, you must always remember who you are. The same is true from this passage. Friends, we must remember who we are, servants of God, united with him through faith and baptism. That is the first paddle that motivates the follower of Christ to pursue him. And now let's look at the second. The second uh, motivating factor concerns our destiny, and this is found in the question, 
towards the end of the passage, which says, what fruit were you getting? Should I go on sinning? Should I, do I need to paddle against the flow? The, uh, the apostle's question is, so what fruit, what he's asking you to do is, he's asking you to think through sin. Right? We were in a sermon series entitled The Wages of Sin and the Gift of God. And each sermon series, we've looked at uh, one of the effects of sin from exile to division to uh, condemnation. And we've looked at one gift of God, homecoming, unity, wholeness. And here we have really the inspirational verse behind that sermon series. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life. And the thing about death is, it's just not pretty. Death is ugly. The ugliest, the prettiest dead person. I don't want to say that. Let me back up. Let me make sure I quote this exactly right. The prettiest dead person is far uglier than the most unattractive living person. Agree? Death is ugly. There's nothing pretty about it. The problem is, we don't see it as such. We, we see sin as kind of exciting. It's kind of adventurous. There's a reason they call it temptation, because it looks good initially. Let me illustrate this. Uh, James Bond was originally written as a character that you kind of hate to love, right? A, kind of a charlatan, bent the rules, but he got the job done. Sure, he broke a few hearts along the way, but kind of a man's man, right? Willing to get his hands dirty to get the job done. And, and it makes vice look kind of appealing. And that's the problem with vice. It looks kind of fun. Like if you're walking into the magazine, uh, checking out for the, 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 the grocery mart, and you saw two magazines, Vice and Virtue, which one would you be looking at? Vice looks exciting. Virtue looks boring. We like James Bond because he's cool. But the movie that you and I will never see is the movie that reveals the repercussions of all of James Bond's indiscretions. Like you're never going to see the movie that reveals all of the children that grew up without a father because of his many liaisons. Just no one wants to see that movie. We want to see the fun part, the exciting part. Listen to what Cornelius Plantinga says. When we thrill to rebellion, when we cheer a fleeing bank robber, we don't focus on any of the damage or any of the offense. All we notice are those features that sin has pirated from goodness because everything that sin touches begins to die. But we don't focus on that. We see only the vitality of the parasite that glows with stolen life. And what this passage is saying is think. Think. What fruit are you getting? What fruit are, is going to come from holding on to bitterness? What fruit is going to come from holding on to a grudge? What fruit is going to come from filling your mind with garbage? What fruit is going to come from looking where you shouldn't look? Think. Think about the fruit that your actions will yield. 
Verse 22 states the end of these things is death, but the eternal life for the but the eternal life is the end for the slave of God. And our choices today either confirm or invalidate the path and the destiny that we're headed to. Should we be lazy Christians? Should we continue to sin? Why should we just not go with the flow? First, remember who you are. Sealed with Christ by faith and baptism, a servant of God. Second, remember the wage of sin. The wage of sin is death, and your end is eternal life. And sin only looks good because it's a parasite that glows with stolen life. You know, back to that opening illustration. The first rapid that we encountered on the whitewater rafting trip was a complete disaster. Six people in the boat, six people out of the boat. But that was the only disaster. (laughs) Eventually I learned that you don't only need direction, you need propulsion to navigate the rapids of life. And the same is true for you and me. You and I can learn to navigate through our ship of faith through this troublesome life. We can learn to go against the flow as we we remember who we are and as we remember who we are not.